Hi, I'm Lynn Galadner, and you're listening to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm a former journalist and the author of nine books, a writing coach, and a marketing expert. In this show, I interview authors and people in publishing about how they find inspiration, how they build their brands and choose their publishing paths, and most of all, how they find meaning in the mundane. If you want to learn more about how to get your writing career off the ground, visit my website, lingaladner.com, and check out the classes, programs, and retreats that I offer. And if you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts or on any podcast platform where you find the Make Meaning Podcast. I hope these stories give you the courage and confidence to make your writing dreams come true. Thanks for listening. Chin Sun Stubis grew up in the squalor of a Shanghai shantytown during the Great Chinese Famine. Her once prestigious family was shunned as political pariahs and forced to endure poverty, torture, and even an assassination attempt. But their nights came alive with stories of their family's incredible history, colorful tales of pirates, prophecies, fortunes won and lost, glorious lives, and gruesome deaths. Based on actual experiences and family lore that spans the post-imperial to the post-cultural revolution eras of China, Chin has united these stories in a gorgeously written and gripping non-fiction narrative titled Once Our Lives. This is a book about one of the most fascinating yet overlooked parts of Chinese history. Once Our Lives is the remarkable true story of four generations of Chinese women and how their lives were threatened by powerful and cruel ancient traditions, historical upheavals, gender oppression, and a man whose fate dramatically altered their destinies. I'm so honored today to welcome Chin Sun Stubis to the Make Meaning Podcast. Chin Sun Stubis, welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. How wonderful, Ling. Very nice meeting you. You as well. I'm really excited to have you here, and I'm so fascinated by your life journey. So I wonder if you can start by sharing with our listeners some of the most remarkable details from your childhood, like how you achieved an education and eventually emigrated to the United States. I was born in a shanty town in Shanghai, China, during the greatest famine that killed nearly 50 million Chinese people. So my childhood was poor. It was poor, like dirt poor. We had a dirt floor and lived in an upside down wooden box mm-hmm. in my father built and leaning against my father's parents' house. Wow. And for the first two years of my life, I was left in an old bamboo crib someone gave to my mother because my mother and father had to go to work. And so we would, the family could be fed. And by the age of two, and at the time, in the early 1960s, the Chinese government was encouraging families to have more children. Mm. But there was not enough for a facility to keep those children where the parents can go out to work. So my mother had to wait for me to turn to two. She thought that was the time, they, the age, they would accept the children. Mm-hmm. But when she took me there, the people delivered to her a blowing news because I could not sit, I could not talk, and I could mm. not walk. Mm. As if my mother was blind and never saw any of those things, I guess she was just so occupied with a life that was so hard yeah. that they told her that I probably would never be able to walk. Oh. And uh, my mother took me back home, 
holding me, and in her belly was a third child. <laughs> and she went back home, and and my father was working a bamboo forest somewhere far away from home. So she decided, that no matter how poor, even without food, she had to stay home and take care of me. <laughs> and that was my very beginning of my life. And、uh, then,、uh, you know, we were always poor. My father during the Cultural Revolution, he was an honest man who always、uh, spoke his honest words. And unfortunately, they、uh, the authority didn't like it. They put him into detention and they took away his wages. So my、mm-hmm. mother had to raise four little girls with no income.、Mm-hmm. So since I had a good eyesight, I was the second child. She used to ask me to accompany her to pawn shops,、mm-hmm. where she deposited her things from the old days because my grandfather was a watch and clock manager、mm-hmm. before the communism took over China.、Mm-hmm. So she had the little pieces of jade, silver chopsticks, and silver spoon, lacquer trays, and we deposited everything to the pawn shop. And she knew whatever went, it would never head back home. So with a lot of emotion and tears, and、uh, we managed to pull through a life. But even during such hard times, there was one thing my mother never forgot to. Lead to us to、mm. talk to us about the old times, the stories that of our family's ancestors and things that happened during her childhood to amuse us, to educate us. So I always knew a lot about my mother's upbringing, my grandfather, my grandmother, all those stories, and also I learned to read and write, to learn to love words. Wow! So, so this is all at home. This wasn't in school or anything. That was before I went to school. Okay. When, okay. Yeah. When I went to school at the age of six,、mm-hmm. that was in 1966. Cultural Revolution started. Right. So all the textbooks, the children's educational material, were all taken away, and the school was only allowed to teach mouse quotation. So we started to. I started my. First grade with mouse quotation book carried in a little red plastic bag sideways over my shoulder. That's、mm-hmm. how I went to school. You know, when I was only a third grade in 1968, when my father started to be imprisoned and sent to detention. So I really saw firsthand. I was scared of words、mm-hmm. because I found that words were most dangerous thing.、Mm. My father spoke words authorities didn't like, and they could send him to prison. I was very worried,、mm-hmm. and I was worried also. I felt my mother already was doing so much. She was knitting our four little girls' sweaters. She was hand sewing our clothes, and and everything was rationed. We really had a very hard life, and I didn't want her worry about me. Even though、mm-hmm. with a child, I worried that I would end up where my father was. That's、mm. how scared I was. But I also loved the words because when my mother told us stories,、mm-hmm. she spoke. She was an, a trained actor. Actress.、Mm. She、uh, did a plays on the stage, and she, you know, he was almost a movie actress. Except、mm-hmm. my her adopted mother got a TV, and at the time there was no penicillin, so she、mm. had to go home, take care of the dying mother, and took three and a half years.、Mm. And so she never became a movie actress, but she was great at singing and telling stories.、Mm-hmm. So I really felt the words. Are actually so useful. I、yeah. love the words. Yeah. And when I grew older, I felt you know. I mean, I was very lucky actually. I no matter how bad everything was through elementary, through high school, the one thing that I felt that I could do better than the other kids that was.、Mm-hmm. To achieve an A for all my classes,、mm-hmm. and was to study. So 
I always loved the words. I became a volunteer school librarian when I was in high school, hiding in the corner, reading books because no one wanted to read at the time. And yeah, uh, yeah it was wonderful. Yeah. So, so I wonder, I, I'd love to hear what your early memories of writing were. I imagine they might be different from an aspiring American writer, just given that it was China's cultural revolution and all of these conflicting messages and, and forces that you were exposed to. So what were your earliest memories and how did you know that you were a writer? That was probably taking me a long time. My earliest memory about the writing was copying Mao's quotations because I was a afraid of using my own words and it would be the wrong words to write. I felt I was like a little parrot, just regurgitate whatever was being told. And that was the best way for me to avoid all the troubles. Okay. Now, then jump from that point on, and I was graduating from high school. And because I did so well, even though no one was, no kids liked uh, education, but I did the best I could going through everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, China restarted a thing called entrance examination for college, which mm -hmm. was originated from the imperial days that mm -hmm. if you, no matter what background you came from, if you do well, you can go and get to college, mm -hmm. even if you have no money, whatever. So I actually was admitted by the Shanghai Institute of Foreign Languages. Oh, it's wow. like the second best language college in China. At the time, wow. they were training mostly di for diplomatic purposes. Okay. And the school was run by educational ministry and foreign ministry. Uh -huh. And there, suddenly, my eyes were opened. I fell in love with Thomas Hardy, with Shakespeare's sonnets, you know, I studied, uh, you know, everything. So mm -hmm. I loved, I loved Thomas Hardy, actually, mm -hmm. and uh, Louisa May Alcott, because she wrote about little women, and I felt I had four little girls, and I was Joe, and I told everyone, I'm <laughs> Joe, and uh -huh. I feel that I loved her character. I also loved Betty Streeter Aldrich. Okay. She was an American woman pioneer writer. So mm -hmm. I had a wonderful, you know, feelings about writing, but I never thought I would ever write in English. I, I'm actually a story motivated reader. Okay. And I love the story would carry me. I would cry my, my eyes out. <laughs> and, but, but the, the text of Duberville, I actually cried my eyes out for her. Becoming a writer was very, very late for me. I'm a late bloomer to the extreme because mm -hmm. only about when in my forties, my parents passed away. Mm. And I suddenly was getting into such a, a, a sadness that I did not know how to pull myself out of it. Oh. So the only way to think to, to think about them, because they were all the way in China and sure. I was in America, I just tried to remember the life that I had with them. So all the stories my mother told me about her childhood, about our ancestors, and also the life I had with her. I spent 29 years of my life with her. Yeah. And I knew so much, everything came out. Mm -hmm. and suddenly, I was overwhelmed by a wealth of stories of these ordinary people who were actually doing extraordinary things. Mm. And during a very, very kind of historical upheaval time. Yeah. And I said to myself, if I don't write those stories down, I felt that in my life, I would regret for the rest of my life. That yeah. is something that I did not do. 
Sure. I think especially that I was, you know, in America, I saw a lot more going on. And mm-hmm. I really felt that history and humanity is not unique to one country. Sure. You know, we're all earthlings, we're all human beings, there was the revolution happening everywhere. And I thought maybe by writing those stories down and share with everyone, and the people would really realize about humanity and the common bound of being people mm. and how the Chinese history would really ma- remind them of the history they have, no matter where they came from. So is that what inspired Once Our Lives then? Yes, partly. Partly was for my parents. I felt that I was the history keeper and I wanted the world to understand these wonderful people. My father was in the prison for 14 years, mm. for both for being for Cultural Revolution, during the Cultural Revolution, mm-hmm. and then he was penalized for seven years in prison for full Cultural Revolution. Mm. After the Cultural revolution was over and made me really, really sad because I really felt that no one can be for and against the same thing and they be punished for that. And anyway, I felt that I can never recover his reputation, but I want people to understand who he was. Such sure. a wonderful man. So, and, and the main most important things, you know, this book, you mm-hmm. know, I, I wrote, I really felt it in all the characters. I actually used their real names. Okay. I did not change my parents' name, my sister's name. The historical timeline is actually the real historical timeline of what things were happening. It's sure. very different from all the other, most of the stories in Chinese history people wrote. Mm-hmm. They were more like, you know, doing studies about the history and trying to write about the characters. But this book is about the resuscitate. It's like bring people's life back by using words and sentences and stories and life they lived. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, I felt like I was a sculptor. Mm-hmm. And I was sculpting with words, sentences, and the things and the details to bring these people back to life. Mm-hmm. So it was, a yeah, in that way, I mean, that's how I became a writer. But, you know, I think that being a reader and being a writer are yeah. so connected. Of course. Not, cannot have one without the other. Right. So I really felt that I was being trained, like, as if like you've been trained to be a soldier, but you did not know. <laughs> you were a sharpshooter. You were doing all these wonderful things, you know, how to use like a nine vision goggles. And then suddenly, like 20, 30 years later, like I realized actually I'm supposed to be a soldier. <laughs> That's what I felt like. So, this book, tell me a little bit about its journey. Like, how did it come to be with your publisher? What has response been? Tell me about all of that. Being a first time writer, it is always hard. Mm-hmm. And I think if anyone who is a first time writer and it is full of like good wishes and, and like a just great dream, and I think you're being very hard on yourself because when you face with the reality, you're going yeah. to be very disappointed. You're going to think, <laughs> oh, oh, what's happening? And then usually people hit with it. And then they suddenly they drop the ball and they don't want to write anymore because it was such a, a bad experience. I think we should be prepared. Let's face the truth. Is that you are the first time writer. Nobody knows you. And there's mm-hmm. so many books out there. Some are wonderful books and some books are not so, but yeah. no one would know what is a good book from a bad book, right? Sort sure. of synopsis or your name. People don't know you. So I, it, it was hard in the beginning. I, you know, spent the time 
try to understand how to write a query. And mm-hmm. some people scared me and said, oh, you by writing a query, you mean the first sentence, right? <laughs> like if people, the first sentence, they feel like, okay, I think it's hopeless. And people don't even read a page. And now the second thing is the, the first page is important because no one would read more than one page of query. And then you think about it. If, you know, people write your man, read your manuscript, they're not going to read beyond the first chapter. So if they feel they're hooked by the first chapter, then if the rest of the book could be as good as the first chapter, then you, you know, you're good. So sure. everything was hard along the way. I did meet a lot of wonderful people. Mm-hmm. The people are encouraging. People are wonderful. I remember that we had a very old friend. He's no longer um, here. Dr. Lou Lipset. He's from Brown University. Mm-hmm. He actually is a famous child psychologist, developmental psychology. Mm-hmm. And once he introduced to me, he's like, oh, you know, here's someone that I know and she runs a literary agency. It never worked out, but I do appreciate him so much for, you know, uh, just being so supportive, a man treating like a father. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of wonderful people who support me, but the, along the way, there are also so many rejections that, that are very hard on you. And But I always uh, try to use a, a few um, encouraging stories perpetually anything happens you know I feel discouraged I feel sad I just think about their particular story uh, Scott Fitzgerald mm-hmm. how he pasted the entire living room wall filled with rejection <laughs> well wait Gatsby I'm yes. like wait Gatsby got rejections they could have pasted all over like a wallpaper and I'm not <laughs> doing that badly am I <laughs> I love it. I love it. So how has response been to the book? What have you heard from readers? What is, what's been your experience? I am so grateful, actually. The book was published uh, the first day of June this year. Mm-hmm. The book has already got four awards. Wow, that's it, great. Yeah, it got the gold prize for nonfiction author association. It got a prize from a reader's favorite. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to Miami in a few days and to uh, receive my award. And also the book will be at a Miami book fair. Mm-hmm. And we're great. raising money for St. Jude's Children's uh, Hospital. So nice. it's for a great course. Yeah. And I got a winner for handcraft. And mm-hmm. most lately, it won the uh, book prize for with the best book awards. Oh, great. And, I, and if, uh, apparently Pope Francis and Amy Ten. Uh, among the winners. So I feel very privileged, very honored. So it's been doing well. And I got so many people that I don't know. They all wrote to me, you know, some on Amazon. They said, oh, the book needs a prequel, needs a sequel. And <laughs> and the, most of them said, I cannot put, put the book down. Great. And uh, the book reads like a fiction, but actually it's nonfiction because I was inspired by Frank McCourt. Angela's Ashes. Yeah. When I read that book, I cried, I laughed, and he opened my eyes to a possibility of writing the history Mm. in a way as the history unfolds. And like, it's so wonderful. I wanted people to see how the people live their lives in the past and and the the readers actually can see them in progression as Mm -hmm. if like a movie 
you know, showing in front of them. And that's what I wanted to do. So I was partially inspired by Frank McCourt. I love him. Nice. Uh, so what is next for your writing career? Are you working on another book or, you know, what, what's your vision? Along the way, when I was writing uh, Once Our Lives, it took me 20 years of oh, labor wow. and love. But along the way, I felt it because I, I just was determined to write this book, but I needed to sharpen my writing skill. So along the way, I actually uh, became a newspaper columnist for Santa Monica Star. I've uh, already penned out over 200 columns wow. about the history, about the parenting from perspective of being an Asian. And along the East Coast, I called it Reflections from the East. Mm-hmm. And I have also written short stories and kind of a little obsessed by people, older people, the real Americans, you know, when they get older, but, you know, well, loneliness, they, they are kind of still like uh, uh, interacting in their man, mind about the past, about the present and whatever the future they could see themselves. I enjoy writing this kind of short stories, but I have also written like a close to a dozen essays about my own life in China, because uh, the book, Once Our Lives, is really not about my lives. It's about four generations of Chinese women struggling through war, revolution, and ancient Chinese superstition. But about my own life, I wrote them in a style of essays about mm-hmm. all different things that happened, just, you know, growing up in China from all perspectives. I've been enjoying writing them, and I mm-hmm. might keep on writing more essays, and eventually, if possible, to become a collection of Mm. essays. And I also enjoying nonfiction tremendously. I, you know, writing uh, uh, fiction as well. You know, writing nonfiction, I felt that foremost is I have to be faithful to the past. Mm -hmm. It's about to bring past to the present. Mm -hmm. And uh, my main emphasis is about being faithful. I want Mm. to stick to the facts. I want to make sure these people were who they were. I did not want to change things. Mm -hmm. But I I suddenly realized through the writing process that fiction is so much fun (laughs) because you can use your imagination. You can think about, you can let your imagination fly. You can think about anything and everything. So... I actually did write a part of a possible novel about a young woman who had to give away her child. Mm -hmm. I thought about so many Chinese young women gave up their children. Mm-hmm. Whether it's on the front doorsteps of somebody's house, you know, the Chinese didn't have fire stations or, you know, where you can drop your, your baby, it could be anywhere. And so many of these little girls have been adopted by the American families all going around the world. But behind every child, there's a mother mm-hmm. who actually had a story to tell. Mm-hmm. It's not like so easy, like you buy a, a something from a store and then the next day decided I don't want it anymore and let me donate it. It's mm-hmm. not that easy. It is very tearful. It's it's heartbroken. Mm-hmm. And um, I was thinking about writing about this young woman, which would be kind of for many, many Chinese young women who gave up their children, kind of rolled them into one character. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had got to be a very strong 
woman to survive the fact that she had to give away her daughter has to be in an extreme dire situation. What did she had to do make such a deed? And what happened to her, how she struggled in life and uh, run away from the reality and and, Mm -hmm. uh, going far away from her own home. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's possible that I would have, you know, I have I have written some of the chapters quite a while back. Mm-hmm. I might go back to it. I, you know, I, I thought about the, your interview, how you did, wrote things. And then many months later, you looked back at it and you may say, I hate it. I may say, I love it. <sighs> or may choose one chapter out of it. Yeah. And then go from there. So, I brought, you know, anything is possible. Sounds great. It's I, I can't wait to read all of your other things. It sounds amazing. So as we near the end of our conversation, I always like to ask authors what advice they would offer to any of our listeners who are just getting started or have a dream of writing a book. What would be advice that you might offer to them? I would say the first advice is never too old to write. Mm. I feel that I'm in my 60s now, and I have just published my first book. Yes. So never too old. I think that as a matter of fact, older women have so much, you know, experience in life. And you can use your experience as the best material. You may have experienced things that would be fascinating, would be interesting, would be motivating, would be challenging. And the people would want to read about them. Yeah. So I, I would advise, you know, people, if you have a wish to write, don't let your dream fall through. You know, pick up, a, you know, your, your uh, computer. These days, you can't pick up a pen anymore. <laughs> and I feel so bad when I, sometimes I don't like my writing. I uh-huh. want to tear the paper, hear the sound. I want to <laughs> throw the paper into the fire. I'm like, no, I can't throw my computer into the fire. <laughs> so that kind of sometimes bothered me. But I, I just tell you, never too old. And also, I think for elder older women, it's good to form a group yeah. that it's like a, you know, help group and you can talk about it to the mm-hmm. other women and even the frustration, the emotional side of it to, you know, support each other. Mm-hmm. I think it would be a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like grandmother Roses, Moses, right? Did you, you know, if you very old, she could still become famous doing mm-hmm. the drawings in her own style. So yes. we will maybe would become Uh, writers like her and uh, never too old to do things another thing is never to give up and i think that if you give up it's essentially a death sentence Mm -hmm. so if you like something and you make mistakes you may hate what you write Mm -hmm. keep on writing that's my advice I love it. I love it. Well, Chin Sun Stubis, it's been so nice to chat with you. I'm so impressed by your book and your story. I feel like I could chat with you for hours. And I just am so grateful to be able to share you with the audience of the Make Meaning Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world. And please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more at makemeaning.org or lynngalodner.com.